that's where INFs, INFs get so tangled up is we feel like I'm responsible for managing and caring and shifting the emotions of others. And that's where we get this agitation and distress and overwhelm from all these relationships and other people. And then we're like, I can't handle it. I'm an empath. It's too much because we're trying to go in and do all this stuff with the emotions. Welcome to the INF Club podcast. I'm Jazz Hoti, and this is the podcast for INFJs and INFPs and other intuitives and highly sensitives to provide you with nourishment, understanding, and inspiration as you navigate your journey. Whether you are listening for the first time or you have tuned in previously, thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Whether you're a long-time listener or joining in for the very first time, a warm welcome to today's episode. This is the third conversation in a series between Lauren Sapala and myself. Lauren's an amazing person who I'm fortunate to call a friend. We first connected through the magic of the internet about a year and a half ago. We subsequently ended up hosting a summit together earlier this year, and the rest, as they say, is history. We were continuing to catch up after the summit and have some great conversations and thought it would be a neat idea to let you listen in on them. So what we do for this series is pick a theme that we feel might be appropriate for INFPs and INFJs and then just run with it. If you haven't already, you might wish to listen to our first conversation, episode 28, where we talk about our entrepreneurial journeys as INFs. And in our second conversation, episode 33, we talked about creativity. Today, part three of this series, we talk about relationships for INFPs and INFJs. This is a pretty big one. We cover relationships and boundaries, the importance of learning to protect our energy and resources that might help you with this. I've already given her a little introduction, but Lauren's a writer, writing coach, and an INFJ. She's written several books, such as The INFJ Writer, Firefly Magic, and The INFJ Revolution, which are all books for intuitive introverts, HSPs, empaths, and all other sensitive, struggling artists. You can find her at www.laurencepala.com. That's S-A-P-A-L-A. If you're an INFJ or an INFP listening to this and you've not done so already, I'd really recommend that you check out her stuff. With that being said, let's get started. I'm delighted to bring you this third part of uh, in this series of conversations between the two of us. And our theme today, again, is relationships for INFPs and INFJs. So please sit back, take a breath, relax, and I really hope you enjoy today's episode. Yeah. Oh, you can. Okay, sorry. That's okay. 
What a weird, what a weird start. What a weird start to our conversation. <laughs> oh, well, I guess I'll just move the chat window up. I mean, will it, will it record the chat window too? I don't think so. Okay. If you go to the top right. Um, oh. You can close the chat window. You can just yeah. Yeah. Is that good? <laughs> Is it all okay? We're all good, I think. We are a okay. We're not freezing. We can see each other. How are you? I am. Yeah, I'm. I'm. A, I'm okay. I'm definitely like. So we're we're back in like full lockdown for this month here in the UK, but we're still able to go out and do exercise, and I'm right near the park, and we can meet people one on one. Um, so I've probably been in some ways more sociable than I would normally be because everyone's like, we can only meet outside one-on-one. -on -one, so let's do that. Um, and I've also been trying to, uh, I've been doing some yoga this month. I'm like, I'm going to use this as an excuse to build some better habits, get outside, do some yoga. So I did this like 20 minute yoga class, uh, yoga with Adrian on YouTube. Um, she's mm -hmm. quite well known. And this was before my tutoring call that I had just now. And I was like, 20 minutes and I feel so zen so calm like I I think I need I need more of this in my life so yeah I can it still feels quite I still feel quite frazzled and intense like I think I do this time of year anyways but I'm trying to reground so yeah I need to check out that yoga I need to feel more zen I'm I I'm always like zen about the weirdest things but not saying about everything else. Well, well, what it is is, and this so this is another thing. One of the other things I've I've now trialed a couple of weeks is no plans Wednesday, mm. which is where I don't have a to do list and I just let myself do whatever comes up. Um, now, obviously, today uh, I had like tutoring call and then I've had this call, but I mean they're both pretty like, do you know what I mean? Like pretty easy going, yeah. like not like you know computer admin-y tasky to-do list stuff um mm. and that's been going really nicely as well and yeah it's just that um just going into the yeah just going into my body and less out of my head because especially like projects wise like i've got a couple of things going on with like a book and like the inf club stuff and so they are both coming with like a certain amount of energy and that leads me to like hold it like in me. So doing yoga or, you know, there's other ways, other ways you can do it, but um, yoga really helps me just really get into my body and outside of the thinking and the planning and the doing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'd recommend it. Have you, have you done much yoga? You know, before I had a child, I used to do yoga all the time. Yeah. Oh, do you remember? I mean, I went to yoga class all the time, like for years. I did hot yoga. I did regular yoga. Yeah, I nice. yoga. You know, I really loved it. Um, but once I had a kid, it was like, I have very little time for anything. So you know, I've been, you, I tried to get the, You never did the mother and baby me. yoga? Yeah, I kind of tried that. And my son was like, no, <laughs> like, not into it at all. So yeah, I gave up. Enough. Um, and I didn't take him when he was a real little baby, you know, like I lived in San Francisco where a lot, there was like a lot of mommy and me and people would like cart their kid around. And I just, when my son was a baby, I was like, this is so stressful. Just even like going somewhere with him. 
getting him into the car, all the stuff I have to bring. Like, it was too much. It's one of those where, like, the real life is just so... Um, I live in Southwest London and there's like some quite nice like yoga studios and like the, uh, you know, the kind of like the fitness moms and they're just like, I just look so effortless, <laughs> but I don't, it's not the reality, is it? It just doesn't. <laughs> I think, you know what though? I think it is for some mothers. I think, think some women are better at the mothering thing. Like I'm just really, um, I'm, I'm really like worked up about uh, being out in the world, like going to the store myself by myself to the grocery store is a big thing where I'm like, there's people everywhere and I got to park the car and I got to get in and get a grocery cart. I have to like negotiate all this stuff. And I find it very stressful. But, but this is, so a, this is like a, an, in, that's like an intuitive thing. Right. And the, the energy is that, is that what it is? I or? guess all of it's stressful for me. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I do it, but I don't like it. So adding like a two-year-old into the mix of that is just hell. <laughs> like, I just was like, no, I don't want to deal with this kid that's in the cart kicking his legs at me and trying to grab stuff and like, ah, <laughs> yeah. can't do it. It's it, weird. It, I can do like very stressful things that other people think are stressful and be fine with it. Like if, if someone's like, you know, their mother just died and they need to sob for two hours. I'm like, yeah, I can sit with you while you cry for two hours straight. <laughs> That's fine. That doesn't stress me out at all. But going to the grocery store with a two-year-old, I'm going to have a breakdown. I wonder if that's a, uh, is that to do with control? Because I guess if you know, well, I, well not necessarily actually, because is that so yeah you gave a specific example of someone coming to you with that in some of your coaching sessions you don't know what people are going to come with but i get the feeling that you're able to handle whatever it is that comes at you yeah i think what it is is i have a very um limited ability to negotiate physical reality so at the grocery store i have to be very outward i have to be like I can't run into someone else's grocery cart. Let me, here's the entrance. Where's the lettuce? And then to throw a little child on top of that, where I'm like, I have to make sure he's not putting in his mouth. Yeah, all of that. Is he yeah. throwing, like, it's so much to keep track of in the outer reality that I get very exhausted. Whereas somebody having a big emotional breakdown, I don't have to pay attention to the outer reality. I can just be with them and be in the inner reality. And that feels really effortless to me to, mm -hmm. to be in the emotions where I don't have to be visually noticing details in the room and keeping track of them. That's hard. Well, as you say that, I guess that sounds in its nature, more inward intuitive as opposed to outward external sensing. Mm -hmm. It's the, that's it. It's the sensing. The scenting is my weak spot and it's really hard for me. Like when I would take my son to a playground, oh God, because I, I have to watch him and then I'm keeping an eye on the other kids coming near him and are there weird people there and what's he getting into now and is he sharing, like having to pay attention for so long to physical reality and what's happening there is like so exhausting. Mm. I was going to ask, I've got a light right above my head and I know I'm a, it's a little bit dark in this room. Is my lighting not perfect, but like good enough? 
As I, you ask someone who's just like, I can't pay attention to visual detail. <laughs> it looks great to me. You are, you are the person in this situation to ask. <laughs> yeah, I'm the worst person to ask. You could have been in half shadow the whole time, and I'd be like, it's fine. <laughs> Because your your lighting is always yeah you've always got great lighting and I've not yeah like a fish tank and all this other stuff but yeah I'm in a different room today which so the lights are a bit differently placed but yeah it's yeah I mean my my husband does all my lighting I know I'm just I could be like in the dark and be like they know who I am they can hear my voice okay <laughs> um should we start on our topic for today though let's I am really looking forward to this. Yeah, I am too. It's, oh, relationships. Oh, man. The powder keg for INFJs and INFPs. Oh, boy. Yeah. Is it, I mean, am I going too far in saying it's a powder keg? <laughs> Is that a, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I don't think so. And certainly not in this moment, because this is, again, something which feels really timely for me, because I think I'm really connecting with how much they're like a thing and i think the major realization i've been stepping more into really for like the last three four years is my sensitivity mm-hmm. and i was saying to someone recently i was like so i came when i first came across the highly sensitive stuff and i was kind of engaging with what felt safer in like the scientific research-based realm i was like yeah but then it kind of goes beyond that. And like I'm reading, I'm like reading now a book called The Awakened Empath. I think if I'd have had empath before, I'd have been like, ooh, is that, is that a thing? Is that, but I'm honestly really connecting with how much I need to A, manage my energy and how much I take in from my surroundings and especially from other people. And the relationships piece is obviously a big part of navigating energy and sensitivity to others so this feels really relevant to me and so i don't think for me personally that the powder keg is is an exaggeration Mm -hmm. yeah i've gotten uh way better with relationships in the past five ten years i think but they used to be a powder keg for me my relationships all through my uh, childhood, adolescence, and 20s really were extremely painful. I mean, I had good relationships, but I would go through extremely painful relationships. And I noticed that other people around me didn't seem to have that. Like some people did who were like me, but I would work with people. And um, like, I remember talking to one guy I worked with and he had just broken up with somebody and I was like, oh my God, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm a little bummed, but I'm all right. And I was like, who are you? You're a little bummed, sir. Like I would break up with people and be like, I am devastated for a year. Like I'm holding it together, but I'm crying every day. I'm not eating. I'm not sleeping, you know? And and I would go through stuff like that with friendships. I would get in a disagreement with a friend and just be in a spiral for like five days. And then I'd know other people were like, oh yeah, like we kind of had a falling out. And I'm like, why are you so casual about this? Like, I couldn't understand. Yeah, I think um, they just feel like higher stakes. And especially like from the, even from the, like from the off, which is where I've had to work pretty in, 
pretty hard slash like intentionally on even like like um emails and whatsapps and that sort of stuff because it's so easy for me or even just like speaking to someone in the gym cafe or someone at the train station or whatever it might be because i'm like whoa i can really absorb this stuff if um i don't maintain some distance and some neutrality uh something you talked about in your intuitive coaching course but i'm like actually in my life i need to step back and try and be neutral and observe rather than taking in um and of course like you know romantic relationships or like friendships over time this higher stake stuff um yeah it just feels like higher stakes i recently had actually um like a friend of mine like she was amazing she was almost like she was almost like a kind of like an auntie mother figure type um and I stayed with her and her family. I met her when I did my master's and we had like a little, um, long story short, a little falling out, which I didn't realize at the time was a falling out, but she, I think we're both pretty sensitive and she took it in a certain way. Um, and we just kind of stopped communication quite abruptly. And she, she did say fairness to her. She was like, I just need some space. And she was working through some of her own stuff. But this was like three years ago. And at the time, I was like, I think it did hit me pretty hard. And then I was like, oh, I need to, the way, the best way I can cope with this right now is to just let go of it and to kind of brush it under the carpet, which is what I did after being initially, like being a bit bummed out, like my emotions a bit all over the place. And then recently, um, I don't know he just came back up and I, I reached out again and we kind of got talking and and then all of a sudden like this these waves of sadness went through me and I was just um for a couple of days just kind of crying like kind of crying my eyes out and um I lit little did I know at the I think at the time I was processing all the grief from that friendship which I had lost then, but I'd kind of brushed under the carpet, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think this higher stakesness, a lot of it, well, for me, comes from my emotional nature and the what I absorb and just everything within that energetic. I guess everything is in the energy that relationship, right? There's a lot of stuff there when you when you're friends with someone, mm-hmm. or if you're in a relationship with someone. That's a real like there's a bond that is formed between the two of you well i think also infjs and infps um i don't want to say we overthink it right but we're so like tuned in to our connection with people our energetic connection that we're always like scanning it you know like i have um a really good friend and he's not intuitive i'm intuitive he's not but if we don't talk for a while like i'm definitely going into the connection like is everything okay did i do something is he okay is he sad is he going through a life transition should i support him right now should i give him space what kind of transition is it and then you know we won't talk and i'm like i'm thinking about it every day and i'm checking in like can i feel him does it feel okay it feels cold i don't know is he you know and then we'll end up talking 
And I'm like, how are you? What's been going on? And he's like, just playing a lot of video games. Yeah. And I'm like, obviously everything's fine. And he hasn't been thinking about it at all. Like he's not, you know what I mean? He's just like, oh yeah, nothing's, nothing's wrong. Like, like maybe he is going through life stuff, but he's not sitting there like, how's Lauren doing? Is our connection okay? Let me check in on that. Like, he's just like, I don't know. She's fine. She'll get a hold of me when she does. You're just getting on with it. Yeah. So I think it happens um, a lot with me with people. I, I definitely do that as well. And I find myself re- sometimes replaying scenarios of like the last interaction I had with them and like, so how yes. were they? And was my response to that okay? And this, and all, da, 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 da. and even after I've sent an email, I'm like, was that email fine? Like, did I, did I, yeah. over, did I overextend myself? Did I not say enough? Um, and, for me, especially in the physicality, because I, you know, I can read, you can read energy from, um, I think you do get an, there's a feel that I get from someone in messages or from like a profile or whatever it might be, you know, dating profile or whatever it is, an email. But when they're there with me is when I get the most read of them, if you like. And sometimes it's like, okay, this is my mind going into overdrive. But other times I'm like, there seems to be a disconnect between what they're saying and communicating and what I'm feeling that's coming from them. Mm-hmm. And it's not always easy knowing which one it is. Um, and if, okay, there's a gut feel here and like I'm feeling something or um, I'm going into overdrive. And sometimes you'll never even know because you're getting a feel and you think you're getting a feel, but they just might not be feeling it or they're disconnected from it or whatever it might be. Um, and you're like, so that time, I wonder if I was reading into something which they weren't aware of, or if that was just me being crazy and like overthinking things. Well, no, I'm glad you said that. Cause I, I don't think we're ever crazy. Like, I don't think it's ever that like actually nothing's happening and we're making stuff up or like with my friend who's like, I'm just playing video games. Like he is going through stuff. He's also right. very disconnected from his emotions. Right. So it's not like what it's the question is not like, am I crazy or not? It's more like, does he actually want to share this or talk about it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause a lot of times I'll get stuff from people and I used to think like, Oh, I'm getting a really strong vibe that they're upset or sad or worried. So I would be like, I need to go in there. Like I need to ask them questions and let them know I'm here. And, start caretaking and now i'm more like wait i am getting that but i also can feel now the nuance of their of maybe like you said they're actually unaware of it or they don't want to talk about it they want to be left alone so now i'm like okay that i can tell something is happening but i need to be hands off that took like years and years for me to learn yeah and the, and the challenge is this isn't someone just off the street. This is someone I know and I've grown to have a relationship with and, you know, care about. Um, and yeah, that can be hard because, and again, I'm, I'm interested to hear how you've learned over time to, I don't know, reframe that or change your relationship with that. Um, because the closer people are to you, A, the more difficult it is because you're like, should I be helping them? I should be helping them because I want to help them. But um, 
also something I try and remind myself is, um, you know, we mentioned in our last conversation on creativity, I think about how I felt like I was in the matrix. And when I left my job, I wanted to explain to everyone, like, you know, you really sold us a lie. Yeah. Yeah. They sold us a lie, but like, I know you seem like really happy doing this, like this job that we've been doing, like in the city, but maybe like, have you really asked yourself, you know, what you really want? (laughs) Um, Through to, you know, someone else who I detect is going through, detecting is going through some stuff, but I'm like, do I, do they want to engage? Will they even connect with it? Do they even know they've got those emotions there? And that's the thing. And I try and remind myself, it's not my role to necessarily do that. And actually I'm almost by me trying to force any issue and putting and like sway it. I'm almost messing with the natural order of the universe. If that, that might sound really weird, but I'm like, I've, I'm messing with, I'm, I'm messing with things. I need to take a step back and be like, if they lean into it, yes. But do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. It's like really the- hard when you've got people really close to you and you're like, I feel like I could help you. And I feel like there's stuff that I've done myself, which would also really help you. But if they don't want to go there, um, I don't think it's conducive for anyone, just them, yourself, the universe, <laughs> to try and force that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think you can. I mean, I've tried it. I've tried to drag people into personal growth, and it doesn't work. Right, yeah. They just go right back to where they were before. And it, it's, so it's like a complete waste of time. I mean, I was trying to do it when I was like nine years old with, with friends. Really? really? You can go, you can, you can pinpoint and remember as for like. Oh, all my friendships were like that. I would make friends with people who had a lot of potential, but also a lot of self-destructiveness. And then I would try to like drag them up. Like I would just like love bomb them. And they were always like artists or musicians or, you know, um, but had like severely traumatic pasts and were very self-destructive. And, you know, we were like 10 years old, 12 years old, 16 years old. And I'd be like, look, but you know, you're a great artist or look, you're so smart in this area. Like let's work on your homework together. I can help you study and I can teach you tools, you know, like let me drag you into the light. And it never worked. I did it with so many people and they just, you know, they just either fought me or they would kind of go along with it, but then bounce back to where they were. They were going to take their own path. They were always going to take their own path. Especially, especially at that age as well. I mean, at any age, but at that age, they're just like, yeah, I, I don't know what to call that a maturity, but someone who's nine is just like, you, you see this they're probably so not thinking about that and just, you know, wanting to, I don't know, do other things and like play in the playground or whatever it might be. And well, I think part of it, cause I've always been, I've always had like the mentor archetype. Yeah. So that's always, that's been something that's really easy for me. I can look at people and I can instantly see their gifts. You know, I went to a retreat where we were, uh, the, one of the exercises was figuring out your medicine for the world. And I was like, Oh, I already know my medicine. It's to help people, find their medicine like I can see other people's medicine that's my medicine 
but I can, I can really quickly see people's gifts and I'm like, Oh, they're good at this. And they're good at that. They would do great here. That's been so easy for me. But what hasn't been easy is also seeing the layers of issues they're dealing with on top of their gifts and how easily are they going to be able to work through those layers? You know, so back then I was just like, Oh, I see this person that I go to high school with. I, he's a great artist. I can see that. Like he's so talented. He has such an eye for color and beauty and he has this artistic sensitivity, but he's really deep into drugs. He's very self-destructive and he has huge anger management problems. So now I can look at that and I'm like, all of that tangled mess of stuff on top of the artistic gifts, it's too much stuff. Like he's not going, and like looking at his makeup as a person, he's not going to break through that. He's not gonna untangle that anytime soon. It took me a long time to, to get that though. Back then I was just like, no, it's look, look at the gifts. Like all the other stuff can be overcome. And now I'm like, not always, not all the time can all this other stuff be overcome if the person doesn't want to overcome it. Yeah. And also like on top of everything you just said, all of that stuff on top for you to be there to try and drag them through it. Do you really want to invest yourself that way when uh, they're not interested and it's literally going to be dragging them through mud for, and I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking uh, it can be damaging for us mm -hmm. internally overwhelm burnout nervous system stuff like this can be and we can we obviously again we can take this is a different thing here i guess slightly but we can take that on like if you're not careful that stuff that they've got you can uh you can let you can let yourself take it well and it's it's also not our place to do that that's what i ultimately realized was yeah. Like to me with my friend who couldn't stay out of jail, um, who was actually a boyfriend. For me, I was like, why would you want to go to jail? It sounds horrible. Like, I don't, I don't want to go to jail. That's one of the last things on earth I would want to do or a situation I would want to be in. On a soul level, I see now, he was really trying to learn something. There was something in that experience that was very important to him on a soul level to learn. So he kept going back to it and he kept going back to it. And if someone had said to me at that time, you know, if you could rate on a scale of one to 10, how committed this guy is to going back to jail, I would have given him a 10. I've been like, he's really committed. Like he will go out of his way and do very inconvenient things to get arrested, to go back to jail. So you trying to take someone off that path you're trying to, you're like tearing them away from a learning experience. You're trying, you're trying to come in and say, I don't think you should be learning those lessons. I don't understand those lessons. And that's kind of spiritual arrogance. That's a great way of putting it, both what you said and the spiritual arrogance. Kind of what I was saying about the whole interfering with the natural way of things. You're interfering with them and their journey. You're like trying to prize them in a, um, selfishly in a way, if you look at it, into your way of like, oh, my, this is my way of, uh, this is my way. Maybe they're, doing it their way 
And you, you said something a moment ago before I forget to ask it, where you said I could build from a very young age. I could see the see the potential, the future potential of people. What was in with what was within them, um, but those people often you know, came with you know psychological issues and, and and what have you. In your experience, do those things tend to come together, or was it more you were kind of in a way seeking out those who had potential and the issues? Was there anyone with potential who didn't have so much of, of the Oh, issues? yeah. No, I can see the potential in everyone. Right. I mean, in literally everyone. Like, every single person I meet, if I talk to them for over 10 minutes, I can start seeing, like, oh, they're great. They're a great speaker. Oh, they're good with people. Oh, they like animals. Oh, they're good with trees or plants. Like, I can – it does not matter who the person is. It is the grocery clerk at the grocery store, the bagger. If I have any prolonged interaction with someone, I can start immediately seeing their gifts in the world. So it could be someone who's very psychologically healthy. It could be someone who's very psychologically unhealthy. Um, I think I am particularly drawn to uh, your traditionally like artistic people, right? Writers, painters, musicians, um, sculptors, people who are in the arts in that way, yeah, I do think they tend to have more psychological issues, myself included. I'm throwing myself in this. Um, then, you know, people who are really drawn to business and marketing and a traditional job in a traditional office. You know, I'm making a really big blanket generalization because we all have our stuff. We've all gone through our stuff. Yeah. But yeah, the people in, that I was really drawn to when I was a kid and in my teenage years and my 20s were all um, deeply artistic, sensitive people mm. who had a lot of really extreme problems with self-destruction. I think a lot of times the artist and the self-destruction trait definitely go hand in hand, which because artists, artists are very tuned into the create and destroy cycle. That's where it comes from. Artists create things and, and to be so connected to the creative force, you have to be connected to the flip side, which is the destructive force. You don't get one without the other. It doesn't work that way. You have, you have to take both. Can you, and, and I, I realized in asking that question, you kind of said it there in your answer. It sounds like such a cliche, right? You know, the tortured artist and what have you. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I was interested in hearing your response because I know you've come across and you've worked with a lot of creatives, artists, writers, specifically perhaps um so yeah i figured you you'd, you'd have some you know actual kind of evidence real world insights based on who you who you've met are, are there ways you said you know destruction comes with the creating uh and again i know we're talking about relationships here so maybe let's not <laughs> let's not deviate too much or let's because you know this is what's coming up in the moment yeah it goes where it goes it goes where it goes um have you learned are there ways in which we can manage the destruction better or, or have you learned ways to manage your your destruction better whatever it's looked like for you well so i actually don't have the artisan archetype the artist really i don't have that very strongly no i do write fiction and i do love art but i'm not um i would not categorize myself as an artist in an archetype sort of way um, artists in the archetype sort of way are very interested in taking things apart and putting things back together. 
they are very interested in manipulating the physical world. They like to paint. They like to have. They like to listen to music and hear the notes. They they use their five senses. Um, I'm much more a writer because I'm focused on the ideas, the more abstract. Like I want I want to convey information to the masses. I'm my writing is part of my teaching and me seeing the gifts in people that's linked to my writing. So my whole medicine package is is quite different than say like a painter or a musician or more of someone in the arts. Um, now managing it, what I found with with artists and artisans, I call it the artisan archetype. Um, it's not so much about managing it as it's about accepting it. So many artisans fight it. They so many artisans are extremely moody. They have really high highs, really low lows. Um, in the winter, they can become very depressed, very anxious. In the summer, they're like manic. And they tend to fight these manic depressive cycles within themselves. Now I know like, obviously, if it's getting really out of control, seek professional help. I got to put that disclaimer there. But I think there's such a, um, there's such this idealization in our society of like, you need to be perfectly mentally healthy and this is what it looks like. Right. And if you deviate from that, then you need to be worried and scared. You need to, fear. Be, really, you need to be really efficient and, and level and balanced. Yeah. yeah and, and artists just aren't. They just are not that way. They are naturally not that way. My husband's an artist and he is like, like it's been raining a lot here and he's like intensely upset about it, you know? And then in the summer when the sun comes out, he'll be like intensely euphoric. Um, so it's, it's just most helpful to accept that you have more extreme cycles than other people do if you're an artist. Emotionally, mentally, you know, you might go through periods where you like burn all your paintings, you know, or you have like a really extreme ritual of like shedding the old. That's a very artist-like thing to do. Yeah, I feel like you're, you're definitely speaking to me in terms of those mood changes. Um, I'm, I think I've shared with you before, like winters for me, I go like, um, I was in like therapy, like four, five years ago. I, I, went, I think I went back after about a year again. But I was literally, um, and they, you know, I was given uh, some some medication and I'd and done some therapy. And then spring into spring and summer, I felt great. I was on top of the world. Da, 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 I can come off these. And then literally the next summer, the next winter was. And I remember like three, four years until I learned to. I think I kind of I noticed a pattern. I learned things to help manage it better. Um, yeah, I'd really hit hit lows. And you talk about these archetypes again, kind of timely. Very recently, someone in um, you know an F Club community um, pointed me in the direction of the um, like the Michael's teachings. Oh yeah, oh and yes, you know I'm a Michael's teachings nerd. I figured you'd mentioned it. Um, yeah, yeah, and. That he's got the the archetypes, the soul archetypes, the soul types, yeah, soul types. You've got and you've got like a, you know, there's the top one or two, like the dominant, and then the the secondary, or what, I forget what what he calls them. And I was so so I had a very clear one and two, and I was actually really surprised. I, I my, my number one was artisan, closely mm -hmm. followed by the server. Mm -hmm. I was amazed that my, I was amazed that I came out as an artisan type actually. 
Um, oh, I'm not. Well, because I know the Michael teaching so well. You're yeah. a very clear artisan. Oh your eyes, God. the expression on your face, the, the your actual, the, because the thing about, for, for our viewers who do not know the Michael teachings, there's seven soul types and they're linked to the archetypes. There's artisan, server, priest, sage, scholar, king, and warrior. And there's also physical characteristics that go along with your soul type. And artisans have um, very dreamy, soft eyes and um, kind of like a very dreamy, soft face, right? Like they have, they're very visually appealing in a very, um, like a soft way, like a non-threatening way, you know, like Paul McCartney is an artisan, Marilyn Monroe, right? Like you can see like um, Johnny Depp. So you can see that like they're very good looking people, but it's like a softness to them, right? Like a dreaminess to them. They, they're not like these strong featured people. Warriors tend to be like Clint Eastwood is a warrior. Very like strong featured, good looking guy, but just a different look than say Johnny Depp. Do you know what I mean? I do, yeah. And artisans, um, and that's when I say the artisan archetype, I'm talking about the Michael teachings, mm. but artisans can be very, um, seem almost floaty, dreamy, spacey, scattered, right? They have every, every different soul type has a different number of psychic inputs. And so they talk about, it's like a television screen, right? So warriors have one. So for warriors, it's like they're watching one show on TV. Artisans have five. So it's like there's a spinning pie with five slices of different things coming in all the time. So they're very, um, it's not that they're checked out. They're just paying attention to a lot of different stuff coming in. Can I ask which one you are? Oh, I'm a sage. sage. I'm a sage with server casting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the casting, so your dominant role, like mine is sage in every lifetime, according to Michael teachings, I've been a sage. And then in different lifetimes, you're cast in different roles, like you cast in a play. So in this lifetime, I've been cast as a server, but I am at the chorus age. Yeah. So I'm an artisan cast as a server. Mm -hmm. And sages have very round faces too, but more like apple cheeks. Um, and you can see if you know anything about sages, when you see me talk, you can a lot, like a lot of comedians are sages. Um, a lot of performers are sages, even though sage makes me think of like Socrates, but Socrates was a performer, but like Jim Carrey is a sage. Um, a lot of like evangelical preachers will be priests and sages, you know, sages talk a lot. They can just go <laughs> they're, you know they're they're dramatic they're storytellers this is so fascinating yeah i feel like i'm going to be like i used to with lemire's briggs more like i'm going to be thinking about people that i meet now and like trying to figure out which one they are like some of my friends i'm already doing it, actually really fascinating yeah you really i didn't realize you were uh well i'm a vault of I michael's mean, teaching yeah it sounds like it I really am. Like I've read numerous books on it. I've gone down the rabbit hole for years now. And I'm married to an artisan. My husband's an artisan warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I had just was talking to a client the other day and she was a warrior and never knew it. And I think, you know, as we're talking about relationships, that's important to remember that you change according to the people that you're interacting with. I think we always think of ourselves as like, I have one self and one identity. 
but different archetypes and different selves within you are activated by different relationships with different people, you know? So, um, like I always use the example of the movie pretty woman because everyone's seen that movie. There's so many archetypes. Have you seen that movie Jess? I don't think I have. I think you're the only person I've ever met who's never seen that. I've movie. not seen it. Uh, Judy there's Roberts. a lot of different archetypes at play. I've heard the song. Um, I've probably seen the famous scene with the song, and but now yeah. I've never seen the whole movie. No, I've, ne I've never seen the movie. Oh, you gotta watch it. Well, so Julia Roberts is this hooker, and Richard Gere picks her up on the Sunset Strip in L.A., um, and they fall in love, and it's a fairy tale, right? It's like she's transformed from the hooker to the to the princess. But there's so many different archetypes where she's the eternal child. You know, he's this workaholic who's very unhappy. And she gets him to play and open up and reintroduces him to the wonder of the world. And he's also the king. He's the unhappy king, you know, who makes her into the princess. Like he sort of lifts her up. And, but he's also the daddy. And so they move in and out of archetypes the whole movie in relation to each other. Like as she's the child, he becomes the daddy. As he shows himself to be the king, she becomes the princess. And that happens in real life with people. You know, you might with some people be sort of like the parent. You're more the patriarch or you're more the one in control. And then other people, you become the child. I hear you. So for, so for like romantic relationships, what's, what's the, uh, is there, is there like an ideal? <laughs> is it different for everyone? It's different for everyone. Um, you know, like for me, in my everyday life, with my clients and my work and my friends, I'm very much like the queen. Like I'm very, I don't want to say dominant, but um, I direct things. I'm kind of authoritarian. I'm very solid in what I want. And I, I just, I'm like, yeah, we're doing it this way. I'm, I'm the guide. With my husband, um, I'm not really the queen. I'm more like this little girl who can be bratty at times, for sure. And he'll say it to me, he's like, oh, your little girl's coming out. Like, I, I'll do this when I'm like eight years old, you know? And that happens to me in romantic relationships where I'm attracted to, to men who tend to be warriors and they tend to be very no-nonsense and they tend to have a stronger will than I have. And so when I'm around them, it's like, not that they're the parent, but I'm much more able to let my little girl out because yeah, i feel like it's, it's safe it's, for her it's about the interplay isn't it uh yeah i have to let a the certain energy out. and obviously there's certain we bring out in, in in one another depending on what we own so obviously if you've got a warrior that can bring out the the little girl if you're you know the sage that can bring out others kind of doing this and like listening to you as the sage and all the queen um so mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense but I know some people, I know some women who are definitely the queen in their romantic relationships. Right. Yeah. You know, I just, for me, that's not, it's not even like, oh, I haven't chosen that or that's not appealing. That's not the way my system activates. Right. I don't think we can control it, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't think you can go into a romantic relationship and be like, okay, I'm going to play this role and they're going to play this role. I just don't think it works that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On, on a on, on a slightly this is all so so fascinating on a slightly like different note i guess i have connection has always been really important to me 
but then also you know having to you know manage boundaries and like just kind of navigate the world and, and find a way that works for me so i think i always used to think and this is probably the idealized stuff coming out of, of me here it's like yeah i need to have like a solid handful of friends that i can just call upon and then i've just got this group of kind of other people and you know it's not as clear cut as that but i was like it'd just be so easy if i had these you know these this my solid my, like my close circle and then this kind of extended circle to, to be. and then the, the, but the more like i think lately i've been wondering is that just does that work in reality like for me or for anyone like is that just idealistic and i'm realizing i'm building it feels like I'm, I'm building relationships um, with different people that, you know, I can go some time without speaking to them, but just show up. And again, we speak like we've been longtime friends. So, yeah, I don't know where exactly I'm going with that, but like, what, what is it? I don't know. What, what is it like for you? Like, do you have like a tight knit group of friends? Do you know a lot of people? Like, do, what's, what's, um, what's that like for you? I have, so... I have my husband and my son. So that's my inner, inner circle because I live with them, obviously. And then I have two friends outside of that inner circle that I would categorize as my best friends. So those people, it's not even how much I talk to them. It's what I tell them. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that see the vulnerable sides of me. Those are the people I go to when I'm actually really upset about something or I'm scared or I'm really sad, you know, um, like my dad died three years ago. If the anniversary of his death came around and I was feeling really sad, obviously like I would tell my husband, you know, I live with him or my son, but, um, those would be the two friends I would actually maybe reach out to with a text and be like, Hey, I'm feeling sad today. It's the anniversary of my dad's death those would be like the only two. Mm. And then outside of that, there's a whole lot of people that I love and cherish and I yeah. consider wonderful friends, but I wouldn't necessarily take the step of reaching out to if I felt vulnerable and not because I don't trust them or there's any, it's not like that. I, I just, when I'm, when I'm in distress, I don't reach out to very many people. And sometimes I don't even reach out to those two friends. Like a lot of times I don't, I just inwardly like deal with it on my own. Yeah. What about you? Do you, when you're upset, when you're actively upset, do you tend to reach out to people or do you go more inward? I think I go more inward. Um, so like, yeah, my kind of inner, inner circle would be my mom, dad, and my brother who I currently live with. Um, but yeah, I go pretty, yeah, I go inward. Um, and again, I've got a lot of trusted, cherished people, but I, yeah, I do tend to go inward. That being said, even though I might not actively reach out, there are, I can think of, yeah, two or three people who I feel more comfortable just expressing my emotions too more fully if, if that makes sense mm -hmm. um so i might talk about more vulnerable things with but um 
yeah, I don't feel like I've got any like go-to people that I do that that I do that with at the moment. Well, I think, and I don't know if this is true for you, but this is another thing for me that yeah. I'm always kind of in angst about something. Right. Yeah. Like I really am. And on the outside, you would never know it. Where I'm like, yeah. I'm making YouTube videos. I'm teaching classes. I have a son. But inward, like, there's like something that's haunting me, or some stuff that's coming up about the past, or I'm just like all sorts of in turmoil. And it's just a constant condition. And so I can't overwhelm people by constantly filling them in on it. Like it doesn't mean anything to them and it's going to pass in another day anyway. And then there'll be something else. So I guess as I've gotten older, I'm like, there's no need for me to do that. Like, it's just not even worth sharing because it's never going to end. It's eternal. And it's, I, uh, there's nothing anyone else can do to help me through it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but I can. Yeah, so I think it's a combination of that, exactly that for me as well, and like yeah, like at home and in a certain like patterns that have taken shape from however long you've been together as like a family unit, which is quite a while now. Um, and like yeah, I think I just, uh, I just I think I've just gotten used to and feel more comfortable holding it all to my own and like you say like yeah like if i meet up with people and stuff comes up i might lean into it and not hold back like i would before like to such a firm extent but yeah every day you know like i, I said to you with like you know just feeling frazzled and um did i meditate when i do these guided meditation they say how are you feeling right now in like a word i'm like a word <laughs> a million different feelings that I, that I need to artic like, articulate so yeah just on that basis alone like you can there's a lot going on a lot of the time i feel like moment to moment yeah. like day to day there is so much stuff happening which which is probably one of the reasons why um journaling is really um, helpful and amazing to me because it just lets me it is my trusted friend to uh just spill whatever it is i'm going through and whatever um Mm -hmm. helps me kind of process like i described earlier what happened with my friend and all the grief and that i decided i was like okay this is happening it's probably a good idea for me to be like e even so much so to the extent that um and i'm pretty adept at like hiding my feelings for better or for worse but i, I remember i was on the sat on the sofa with my mom and i started like i was getting teary-eyed and she was like are you okay? And so I was just like, that was, when, and I was like, okay, it's going to be really useful for me to lean into this. So I actually used, I think I did some journaling to help me actually channel it and just to feel what I was feeling um, more than, and again, I know, and there are some certainly uh, without kind of being like generalizing, but they tend to be more extroverted. They kind of like to process and reach out and they're always constantly um, more outward in wanting to share and talk and that's how they process. I don't feel I necessarily need to process like that though. Yeah. Talking about stuff does help and it's more about the connection and the being seen with the other person. That is the healing element of it for me, I think. 
Well, and sometimes it helps. Like one of the two best friends I mentioned, she's an ENFJ and I talk to her every week or so. And I will, I will tell her what's going on in my life and if I'm struggling, mm. but so much of my inner angst, I, I feel like honestly wouldn't even make sense to anyone else. Like, like right now, the other day I listened to some old song from the late 1990s. And it was this song that one of my old best friends used to listen to all the time. So I started thinking about him and then I started thinking about his drug addiction. And then I started thinking about how he was born in November and how we'd shared all these November birthdays of his together. And then I went through all the Novembers of my entire life. And then I started seeing a pattern with every November. And then I went through the winters of, and it was like, I did this for like three days, <laughs> you know, where I'm like staring out to the rain, like November has come again. And I'm like, really going into this black hole of my soul, I cannot get on the phone with somebody and talk about that. They're going to be like, Lauren, I'm, it's not that I think you're crazy, but I'm honestly having trouble following you. Like, what are, what are all these dots mean? They mean something to me. Yeah. It might come out in my writing later. It might not, mm -hmm. but I'm having this like three or four days where I'm just feeling really weird and staring out the window a lot. And I'm just like, it's just better if other people are not privy to this. Like they do not have to like try to figure out this mess of what's happening inside my head. I'm just imagining Lauren, like you just pent, like kind of vacantly staring out the window, like a wet window, November rain. By Lauren Chapala. I know. You know, it's available now so, to buy. <laughs> so many times in my life, I've been staring off, and someone will come in like, "What are you thinking about?" And I'm like, "You don't want to know. You <laughs> really don't want to know." You and do not. You do not want to open up. Open up that. Trade. Yeah, and I'll tell them, and they're like, "Shit, I didn't want to know that." <laughs> like you're right. <laughs> you know, like I tried to warn you. Yeah, or or like you know, last week my husband and I watched a comedy special with this comedian um, who I love, Bill Burr and I loved it but then like for the next two days I was just thinking about Bill Burr and I was like he said he has anger problems and problems with his father I wonder what that's about I wonder what he's like when he's angry I wonder how his wife handles that and he said he you know he's a child and I wonder how like I was just really thinking about Bill Burr for like two days I was immersed in who is this person and how did his soul come to be and where is he going what does he want and then it fades after a while, but like, I can't, I can't share that with someone and be like, Hey, I'm in a lot of anguish about this comedian right now. I'm really worried about him. <laughs> you know, like I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, it just sounds too weird. Even like explaining just certain things, which are more kind of felt and emotional in like tangible words. Like I am, I really like the musician um, known as Avicii for like loads of different oh. reasons. And I'm like, I'm convinced he was like highly sensitive and there's all this stuff. And, but it's like, I could talk about him, but to like someone else. And you obviously understand, you know, high sensitivity and all that stuff. But, you know, like to, I don't know, my, my dad or my brother, if I were to like say all this stuff, they would be like, they just wouldn't be able to, they just wouldn't get it. Like my brother's like, because my brother knows I really like Avicii and he kind of, he made a joke the other day about, um, I forget what the, yeah, I forget what the context was, but he, he knows I like Avicii, but I don't think, um, it's like, yeah, the fascination I get, I get, I get the same with, uh, who was it recently? Russell Brand. I think he's fascinating. And, uh -huh. and the, um, you know, do you know who Russell Brand is? Oh yeah. Yeah. 
what what archetypes would you reckon he is out of interest oh he's got sage yeah for yeah, sure yeah. so that's a sage right very performer right yeah, yeah yeah um but i do the same and you hear and i think this is why i love like autobiographies or interviews with people i just love the the stories and the journey and like just getting to the and like just yeah the nitty-gritty of them and like their their soul and i guess their soul journey like i'm the same yeah. I, get, I get i can get really into it especially if it's someone i'm kind of vaguely interested in and normally i'm vaguely interested in them because they've probably got something there but then i i might hear something and i'm like oh and then i'll be like researching them and like doing all this stuff and trying to like yep. robin williams um god rest his soul um i always was so drawn to robin williams in different ways but and I can't remember if it happened before or after his passing, but I always felt there was this real um, pain, insecurity, innocence, like pleasing, like beneath mm -hmm. that performing of his. Um, and yeah, I just get these feelings about certain people and I just get really interested and wrapped up in it. So I, I totally get the whole, you know, <laughs> going down three day thought, emotional rabbit holes well and i think that's the thing because it in our culture we kind of brush it off like oh it's this parasocial illusion where you feel like you know them but you don't know you know and i know that they're obsessive fans but this is something different like when i was watching the comedy special i wasn't like idealizing bill burr i wasn't like oh maybe he's gonna be my partner like you know i just i saw a person who was sharing vulnerable information about his life and I really liked him. And then I was like, oh, I feel love for him. I care about him. Mm. You know, and so then I will, I start like I do with people in my real life. I start to worry about them. <laughs> I'm like, are they okay? Are they happy? Are, are they fulfilling their purpose? Could I help? <laughs> you know, and it's, I think that's very natural, but it feels weird because it comes on so intense. Yeah. And, and sometimes, I what, what's coming up for me is there's, there's a there's a British comedian called Peter Kay, and there was a documentary about him. They were showing his best bits, but they also had interviews. And it sometimes they might be just talking, and it will be a passing comment or sentence or little thing which you're like, "Whoa, that's a major insight." Mm -hmm. um, but I I also have to ask you because I was like. With, I'm speaking with Lauren about uh, I know, like relationships and like I need to there's a couple of things I want to ask you this is something else I wanted to ask you um, you're yeah, yeah I, I, I think I'll be you know following yeah like following you for long enough that I know like you're I write city sf at gmail.com is your is your thing mm -hmm. I know you're very uh, open and inviting and saying please email me or no, not in like a, <laughs> please email me, <laughs> but you're more than welcome to email me. I'd love to hear from you. How do you manage? Because I, um, I'm, I'm starting to get more emails, but I feel like you must get like a bunch of emails mm -hmm. and you're all constantly having to like, and you've obviously got your coaching clients and just people who just reach out, who've been following you for a while and all this. How do you manage those relationships 
and, well, and it, how, how do you respond because yeah for me this energy management thing is a thing and i've just like lauren must have lots of inbox and all sorts of people that 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 come in um mm -hmm. bringing different energy you know let's be honest how do you how do you manage that lauren so i'm really glad you brought this up because this is one of the things i wanted to talk about today was boundaries right because infjs and infps have so much trouble with boundaries and me too still like i'm raising my hand here i'm in the group um the email has been really helpful for me with the boundaries but i think a lot of times when infjs and infps and empaths say like oh i can't handle anyone else's energy or like it's just too much like i like sort of like i'm too fragile to handle all this energy it's because there's not a boundary that's that's sufficiently protective in place so all this energy is coming in because the boundary is still too porous and i've talked about this in a lot of my videos but the energy field of an infj or an infp it's actually more porous than other people's energy fields so more stuff is coming in that's how we're born that we cannot control the porousness but we can control putting a boundary in place mm -hmm. And the key is that we need to bring in the realization that we are not responsible for other people's emotions. That is so hard for INFJs and INFPs. And I have clients who fight me on it. They're like, what do you mean I'm not responsible for someone else's emotions? If I hurt someone else and they're upset, that's my fault. Now, I'm not saying you're not responsible for your actions or you're not responsible for yourself. You are. If you hurt someone else, you are responsible for stepping up and owning that and doing whatever you can to make amends, right? So if you injure someone else, you know, like you break their laptop, right? You borrow their laptop and you break it. You are responsible for offering them an apology, you know, offering to replace the laptop, offering to pay for repairs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, being honest about the fact that you were the one who broke the laptop, right? So you're responsible for honesty. You're responsible for apology and amends. You're not responsible for their anger about the laptop. You're not responsible for shifting their anger back to harmony about the laptop. That's where INFs, INFs get so tangled up is we feel like i'm responsible for managing and carrying and shifting the emotions of others and that's where we get this agitation and distress and overwhelm from all these relationships and other people and then we're like i can't handle it i'm an empath it's too much because we're trying to go in and do all this stuff with the emotions so with my email it happens to me all the time i'll get an email from someone who read one of my books feels like they know me and they will just send me like three pages of like block text. You know, they don't even introduce themselves a lot. They're just, they just go right into it. You know, I'm this and this happened to me and here's my entire life history and here's everything I've struggled with and you're the only person I can tell any of this stuff to. I look forward to your response. And I don't even know, I'm like, I don't even know if they're looking for a coach or if they're just reaching out to say, I read your book, I don't even know their name. They never introduce themselves. They just, bleh. So there is part of me that's like, oh my God, this person's really struggling. 
I can see that from their email. Like they've gone through all these traumatic things. Um, they're really, they feel alone in life. Like I need to help them. I need to manage that for them and I need to make it better for them. So I'm, I need to come in here with reassurance or support or just my time, my attention. And the reality is I don't. I am not responsible for doing any of those things. It might be nice of me to do those things. It might be compassionate even, but it's, I'm not responsible for it. And furthermore, even if I did decide like, okay, I'm really feeling a pull to respond to this person. Um, I'm, I really wanna show compassion here. I feel like there's something here for us to explore. It's still not my responsibility to make it okay for them. And that's where the boundary stuff comes in. So people email me with all sorts of things all the time and I feel pressured either to tell them they're okay and give them reassurance or show them compassion or just respond to them right away. You know, oh my God, they emailed me yesterday. They're probably waiting. They're probably mad at me. Like I'm not responsible for them being mad at me if I take a certain amount of time to get back to them, right? Even if I don't get back to them for two months, you know, they're still gonna have their reaction around it. They might be like, well, two months, that's ghosting. She ghosted me and now I'm mad. Or they might be like, that's okay. I actually honestly forgot about it. It's not a big deal. Cool, she got back to me. But whatever it is, their reaction is their business. Mm -hmm. I don't need to get in there and try to mess with it. And that's what I think so many INFs do. And I did for years. And then when you're trying to manage other people's emotions like that, it, I mean, it's called codependence. So then the second they're out of emotional balance, if they're angry or they're upset, you get panicky. You feel really distressed and agitated and like, ah, and it's horrible because you're waiting for them to go back, going back to be okay before you can be okay. So that's what I really try to teach in coaching. And I actually, I try to teach in all of my writing classes too. And that's what I always talk about when I talk about boundaries is like, you need to like take your pieces back from someone else and give them their pieces, right? It's like, there's like energy pieces or like poker chips. And so much of the time INFs are like, I don't really trust you to be in charge of your poker chips. <laughs> you have problems. There's a, you're kind of a mess. Like, I'm going to take your poker chips for you and I will, I'll dole them out as you need them. Okay. I'm really responsible with poker chips. It's not helping anyone. You got to give them back their pieces. Take your pieces back from them. Does that make sense? That's kind of a whole barrel of information. No, it really does. I was, I was listening very intently. Um, do you, so with that example you gave, I love the example, uh, to illustrate your point of that three page email they're not even introduce themselves maybe not even asking anything in particular maybe there's a question in there somewhere yeah how would you respond do you send a is it a short response is it like what what, what I, I, of course um, it, it, depends. So it depends on the context and the and yeah and so yeah it depends some right. of them i actually don't respond to right some of them i can look at the i can i'm like it doesn't matter what I respond, it's going to go into a black hole and you might come back with something else that's going to be pretty much the same rant. You know, if someone has sent me a long rant about everything that's gone wrong in their lives and how upset and miserable they are in life, I can't help with that. There's absolutely nothing I can do. And me even saying a kind word like, 
I'm so sorry. That sounds really painful. Like I'm sending you love. It's just me flushing it down the toilet. It's a vortex black hole of this like lower energy field of shame and guilt. And it will suck up anything that comes near it. Like my son is really into space right now. So we've been watching a lot of like black hole stuff. And that's really what it is. When someone is firmly entrenched in those lower energy fields, they are a black hole. Anything that gets near them, it's just going to get sucked up. Like it never existed. Mm. So, I mean, if you're looking to give away your energy for the day, you're like, I have too much happiness today. I have too much energy. I'm just going to throw some of it out. Yeah, great. You know, other people, I'll try to like, I'll, I'll be like, oh, here's a good book you should read. Or, you know, I'll just say thanks so much for reaching out. Like, I'm glad that it had an impact on you. But it's a very short, closed message. Yeah. Again, I, it's keep for me. It's, it's keeping neutral. I try and whereas before, I'm like I can be. I'm like no, I'm going to stay neutral and be like okay, let's take a more measured, neutral approach to this response. With that in mind, is it so? Yeah. What, what's a and it? This is where I also used to trip myself up. Um, it doesn't have to be an equal response in length, in what I'm giving back to them, in this and that. That is not for me to have to do Mm -mm. at all. Um, That analogy was great. Lower energy will suck everything in because it will. And even even if this is my feeling, I'm trying to imagine myself in that position. If I'm like, I'm so sorry and this and that. Right, like rightly or wrongly, in an ideal world, I can respond and it won't affect me. But I'm like, the more of my energy I'm giving out, the more, and especially, full stop, I'm giving it out. And especially if it's, re- if it's received in not a way that says, great, thank you, but it's like off- offloading more stuff. It's like I've been lured in and I'm going to be just investing more energy, which is taken from me. Um, so that lower, yeah, the, that, the lower higher energy and, and the black hole analogy, I really like a lot. Well, so here's the, the really key thing that you just touched on that I think it's, this is the rule for INS. And this is where we get tripped up so easily. If you have any interaction with a person, whether over email or in person, and you feel sorry for them, that's not a red flag. Like that's a deal breaker. That is the information you need to know. If you feel sorry for someone, stop interacting with them. Don't have any more email exchanges with them. Don't make them a friend. Don't try to help them. If you feel sorry for them, go in the other direction. And now when I say feel sorry, I don't mean if you feel compassion for them. Right. That's different. Compassion is someone's like, hey, you know, um, I don't usually share this with people, but I really went through some crazy stuff in my childhood. Here's some of it. And you're like, wow, that is, sounds really hard. Um, but you still feel really good talking to the person. You're like, I'm so sorry that happened to you, but I can really still enjoy the person you are. Like I'm having a good time talking to you, even though I feel really horrible that that stuff happened to you. Mm-hmm. That's different. Feeling sorry for someone is like, I kind of want to get away from this person, but I feel bad for them. I mean, they kind of are nice, but like, I just want to just end the like your body already knows your body's trying to like pull away, turn away. You're like, I just want this conversation to be over, but I'm cringing for them. They make me feel cringy 
And I'm like, oh, they probably don't have any other friends. I should be nice to them. Like when you get that cringy, I should, uh, they are doing something. That is their energy. You are reacting to their very low energy field energy. That is the only way that they know how to get energy. They cannot generate their own. And so they work off of the sympathy of others. This are, these are called psychic vampires. Some psychic vampires are very nice people. They're not all evil narcissists. No, and in fact, no. a lot of them are. But they will still suck you dry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's, whether it's email or social media or in person, whether it's a client or a friend or like a potential date, you know, whoever it is, it's the same thing. Deal breaker as opposed to red flag. Like not even red flag, deal breaker. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I used to work with a girl who was very nice and she honestly liked me. She honestly liked me as a friend. She really cared about me. She was a very nice person, but she was in such a low energy field that she was a black hole and she was a psychic vampire. And every time I talked to her, I got nowhere. And the only thing she talked about was how hard her life was over and over and over. And it didn't matter what, you just change the subject to anything. The weather's bad today. The traffic's bad today. I don't like this office. They didn't have the donut I wanted at the cafe. What else? I was like, I mean, it would just never end. And her thing was that she was so nice that no one could really reject her. Right. <laughs> because she would buy little gifts for people or she would ask about you. She would like engage in the social niceties and she, her demeanor was pleasant, but she was a nonstop victim. And I felt sorry for her all the time. Every time I talked to her, I felt sorry for her. Mm -hmm. Has there been anyone like that who you then somehow come across again in some capacity and they've moved out of that? At of course, it's ridiculous. I'm not saying you're always going to be stuck there forever, but have you ever come across anyone who's moved um, to a higher energy in, in so far as you've known them or in the time that you've known I them? have met people who have been really, really stuck in the lower energy fields and come out of it. Mm -hmm. And I've had friends who have gone through periods of severe depression and anxiety and have been really stuck in the lower energy fields and come out of it. I myself was stuck in the lower energy fields for probably about six or seven solid years when I was an alcoholic. I was like only in the shame, guilt, fear energy field all the time, right? Suspicious, didn't trust anyone, cynical, jaded, self-destructive. I was very firmly there and I moved up out of it. So you can definitely move up out of it. Do, do, you, think if, do you think out of interest, if I'd have spoken to you back then, would that have come across or would you have hidden that? Well, so no, that's the thing. There's a difference between being in a lower energy field and taking on the identity of the victim. Right. So even when I was in those lower energy fields and my friends who have known who have been in the lower energy fields in depression, that doesn't mean they've necessarily taken on the identity of victim. Mm -hmm. You know, like I have a friend right now who's stuck in the lower energy field. Yeah. Um, and he's really struggling with it, but he's never been a victim. Like he doesn't really talk about it that much. If you ask him, he'll tell you that he's feeling shitty, but he's, the girl that I worked with, she had taken on the identity of everything bad happens to me. That's how she got attention. That's how she got love. So there was this identity attachment to her wounds. And that's different 
than struggle than being just being in a lower energy field. When you really attach to your wound and you're like, I am this because this bad thing happened to me, that is when it's really hard to move out of it. And I have I don't personally know anyone who has, no. When there's the attachment to the wound. To the wound like that. When it's become an identity thing. When their wound is the the identity now. Because identity is so important. Identity is how we get love and acknowledgement in the community and in the tribe. So if we have no other identity, but the wound, like someone's not going to give that up. They, I mean, you, you, no one just like lets go of an identity without another identity waiting for them. It's like, that would be like if you walked outside your house with no clothes on, no one does that mm. unless you have clothes waiting for you, like a bathrobe right by the door. Like it's just not, th- it's not a thing humans do. Humans have to have an identity to hold on to, to orient themselves in reality. Now I'm wondering though, what was our identity before that? Has that always been there? So there's a really, really great book by Caroline Miss called um, Why People Don't Heal and How They Can. And her last name is M as in Mary, Y-S-S, Caroline Miss. Um, And she's great. She does the anatomy of the spirit and sacred contracts is another great one about archetypes, but why people don't heal and how they can. And she talks about the attachment to the wound as an identity. Um, And I, when I was in AA, I saw it all the time. I would go to AA and there are people in AA who have been in AA for like 30 years and still, and they're sober. They've been sober for 30 years and they come every day and they're like, I'm in AA, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I haven't had a drink since 1978. (laughs) And it's like, well, that's great. (laughs) But why haven't you moved on? I mean, 1978 was quite some time ago. Like, you know, like I was an alcoholic, but that was a long time in my past. I'm not attached to that. That's not my identity of recovering alcoholic, but you'll see that a lot in recovery groups. Yeah. I I don't know. Yeah. At the time. So I I was in, when I would say I was in like a low energy when after my master's ended and my business first business didn't work out. I, and it was again, that time of year, September, I hit a low. I like it. I think for me, work and identity has come sometimes hand in hand. And I was like, I've got, I don't know who I am. And I hit a low. And then I, one of the things I started doing that following year for a bit was um, the day patient, a couple of days in group therapy. But I remember um, I got quite, I think I used to, I think part of it was having a structure and a routine and people around me again. But I do remember part of me was like, like, like kind of weirdly darkly drawn to being in this place and, and, and like being in this like bubble away from reality. Um, and I know my mum was like, you've got to be careful not to get too reliant on being there. Um, cause she was kind of sensing that. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure there is anyone who has, who has not been at some point in their life once, if not multiple times in the lower energy. Right. Um, but I guess totally. It's a completely different thing to have the identity uh, attachment um, of a victim in some way, shape, or form, whatever that looks like. Well, and also being in the lower energy fields, I think we tend to like judge that, like especially in Western culture, everything is like this accomplishment ladder. So you're supposed to be in the higher energy fields. That means you're spiritually enlightened. You've been doing the work. 
the lower energy fields, all this stuff is actually neutral in the universe. We are the ones that are putting this judgment of good or bad on it. The thing about the lower energy fields, they're just more limited. You don't have as much power there. You have a lot more power in the higher energy fields. So living in the lower energy fields, it's like living above the Arctic Circle. It's not necessarily bad. That's a climate zone that's necessary on planet earth because planet earth has to have this specific balance of all different kinds of climate zones mm -hmm. but if you live above the arctic circle your life is going to be limited in certain ways that there's just no getting around you can't go surfing you can't go out in any season you know you have to like protect yourself in certain ways you're just you're much more limited than if you live in san diego and then, you know, you can kind of like go surfing whenever you want. Like there's just a lot more freedom because of the weather. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the energy zones. If you're in the, the lowest energy field is shame. And if you're in shame most of the time, you're not going to have very much energy available to you. You're actually going to be physically tired most of the time. And you're, things that um, in the higher fields would seem like a fun challenge seem like insurmountable obstacles. Mm. Yeah, I've got an I've got an eye on the time. Oh uh, yeah, it looks like we're coming coming to the end. Is there um? Maybe, oh, I, go one on. more thing I want to say about the energy fields. If people are interested in this, um, there's a great book called Power Versus Force by David Hawkins, and it's it's H A W K I N S. Yeah, and it's like it's a weird book. It'll say something about muscle testing in the summary, like kinesiology. That is the book I'm talking about. Yes. It's like got this weird black and white cover. It's a great book about the energy fields. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, we didn't we didn't do intros at the beginning, so should we just do like little intros? I think you know some of the some of the same people will be watching this stuff. In case there's anyone new, just like landing on episode three. Uh, if there's anyone new and they have no idea who we are and they've stuck with us this far, <laughs> we do need to be friends with them. <laughs> That is a very good point. Um, but but um, where, where, where can people find you, Lauren? Uh, my website, laurensapala.com. So it's L-A-U-R-E-N-S-A-P-A-L-A.com. It's just my name. I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm not on Twitter that much these days. Like I check in like twice a week. Um, I'm on Facebook. Friend me. I'll friend you back. I'll accept your friend request. And then my email is rightcitysf at gmail.com. It might take me a while to get back to you because I do have a lot of emails these days. But my website's the best bet. That's where like you can find my videos, you can find my books, you can find my blog, like just all my stuff is there. Mm. Oh, and join my newsletter. You get a free book. It's Firefly Magic. It's a marketing book for INFs. Yeah, dude. Like, I've, I've been telling people like in, in, in real life about that, like who I'm like, yeah, like you need to, it's a whole book that you're giving away. It's an awesome, it's a great book. Um, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, my stuff is at um, jazzraj.me, J-A-S-R-A-J.me. It's got everything on there from, uh, I guess, my main stuff, which is INF Club. Um, and it's also got my Twitter and my email on there as well. Well, and I just want to say people should join INF club. I have a couple clients in it and they love it. And I always get um, inquiries from people where they're like, I just found out I'm an INFJ or an INFP. And I feel like I've always been an alien and like, where do I meet other people? And I always send them to INF club because it's really, it's nice. It's like intimate. 
and it's really um, meaningful communication. It's not just like, you know, those kind of clubs you join or like groups online and you get these like emails in your inbox and you're like, oh, I just can't even look at it. It's like, your emails are so lovely. They're so low key and no pressure where you're like, we're doing this thing this Sunday. We'd love it if you join us, but yeah. you don't have to either. Like, I love it. So I, everyone, I think you should join INF club. It's great. Thanks, Lauren. That's really kind. Yeah. Um, we've got like a, uh, like a little, like a private forum as well, which is quite nice because it's kind of closed and people might, you know, have just been sat there a while or recently joined and they've just got like a burning question. And, you know, just like a, one of those questions you just want to ask like a, a community of INFPs and J's and other intuitives, you get it. Um, and yeah, I think we're doing a little, a little writing session this Sunday. I know you've been doing some writing with your creative commitment challenge and. Oh my God. We're on day 25 today. Almost there. Almost there. But, um, yeah, in return, I want to say, check out Lauren's stuff. Like I've taken your courses. I've read a lot of your books, uh, different pieces of different books at different times. Uh, I actually want to revisit your memoirs again. Um, probably after this conversation, actually, I'm like, I really want to go back to that. <laughs> the alcoholic the alcoholic phase now and you know trying oh yeah yeah and that, that book about that if you can see i'm in the lower energy field it's very dark yeah um but awesome yeah this was again so fun and i can't believe we've been speaking for an hour and a half it's just like flown by cool well we'll see you guys all next month we're doing this every month so if you have an idea for a topic that you would love to see us explore leave it in the comments we'll do it yeah absolutely all right until next time everyone see you then bye so that's it for today's episode if you're enjoying listening to the show you might wish to dive in a little deeper by heading over to www.infclub.net There you can subscribe to my free newsletter and you'll find more little pieces to help you on your journey as well as a community of INFJs and INFPs Thank you for listening today and I'll see you next time